We're sitting in Forest Park in Forest Hills, Queens, with Professor Michael Hudson, our good friend. Michael, how are you? Very good. Good to have you here. Yeah, great to be in America analyzing economic warfare on the ground. And also joined here, taking this special opportunity to ask uh, my new good friend from Denmark, Tuna Nielsen from the Positive Money Movement. Welcome, buddy. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, well, let's start off with you then. Uh, what does positive money mean? So I'm from Denmark, and I work for the I work for the Danish branch of uh, positive money. It's called good money. It's called gode penge in Danish. I'm the politi- political coordinator, and we have some interesting results lately. Anyway, it's about um, it's about taking away the the privilege of private banks to uh, create money as interest-bearing debt and putting that into the hands of a democratic uh, committee under the central bank and uh, so this the bankers call that bad money the bankers call that bad money here in america so yeah so we have this terrible problem now with uh, private banks uh, both having motivation of profit and the privilege to extend credit that they have an uh, interest in pumping up uh, ex- like especially mortgage uh, the, the housing market and uh, yeah so we think that one of the re- one of the main solutions for that would be to uh, to strip the private banks of uh, creating money banks don't make profits they make if you make a profit, you have to pay a tax on it. Banks make capital gains. They have expenses. They have to put money in reserves. There's no money left to pay profits. They have to pay their uh, their managers. Uh, the highest rates of any managers in America. Uh, profits are not the name of the game. You have only the poor people make profits and pay taxes. Yeah, well, that's a good point. That's a good point. But we. Anyway, we do think that one of the ways that we can fight this terrible inflation that has been in the housing market is to uh, to take away the private bank's right to create money. Yeah, and eighty uh, percent of bank loans in America are mortgage loans against real estate. The explosion of bank credit in the last twenty years has almost all been uh, to inflate the price of land. And as the terms of lending have become easier and easier, lower down payments lower or amortization rates, and even negative uh, mortgage uh, loans, where you, you pay uh, more money than the property's worth, uh, it is the bank credit that has been pushing up uh, up uh, housing prices. That's what we call wealth creation in America. But it's really debt creation, and most of the terminology that the bankers use, you will all get rich off the rising price of your home, is actually uh, getting into debt. And obviously we think one of the most uh, important things to understand in this is the dynamic of debt. So when you have money as interest-bearing debt, so actually in this economy that we have now, money is debt, you have this terrible situation that when you hit a recession, when the market is saturated, then people will um, prioritize paying back their mortgage instead of spending their money in in the economy. Then you have terrible deflation because when people prioritize paying back their debt, money goes out of the economy and that's why it doesn't make any sense when a finance minister of England or Denmark says we have to pay down uh, national debt because that actually means taking out money out of circulation in a situation of recession. Well, Tony, you're in America now, and in the last week we've had the Republican presidential nomination with one of the big real estate owners, Donald Trump. 
uh, run, uh, leading the Republican race and in the debates just the other night. He was bragging about how he doesn't pay his debts. He bragged about how his companies have gone bankrupt four times. And he said, I stick it to the banks because they're, uh, he used a very nasty word for the banks that I won't repeat here, uh, but he bragged about not paying the mortgage. So I think, remember, you're only talking about working class people and homeowners, not the big real estate investors. This is good. I, I don't really have to say much uh, sitting here in the middle, but uh, it, it's it's quite something having a look at all the different monetary reform movements that have popped up. And Michael, you've obviously seen this over a good half century and Tuna and I, we're, we're I don't know, chalking up uh, 10, 15 years. We're the new guns on the block, but positive money in particular has really stormed the reform movement. What has been your uh, point of differentiation to to something such as modern monetary theory? Well, that's a really good question. I think people feel that there's this, um, people feel that something is wrong, that, that, the, that the recession shouldn't go on for so long, and that, and I just think that they, they, when, they, when they finally get this dynamic with, with money as interest-bearing debt, People, people think that's that's really wrong, and they and they want to ch and they want to be part of changing it. And yeah, that's what I, I think it's actually. So yeah, we've spent a lot of time like underestimating actually the, the the ability of people to understand these dynamics. But I think now actually we're getting quite big, and a lot of people with the internet is uh, having the ability to educate themselves, and we will be able to maybe within the next couple of years to create a real real mass movement. So you're talking about not only the license to print money, but then to charge interest on this money created out of thin air. Okay, and Michael, uh, you're involved with the MMT movement. Uh, I, I'm still, uh, you know, I need to perhaps interview more people on this topic, but I'm still yet to hear you or um, anyone else give me a pithy definition of what MMT is all about. There are two elements of modern monetary theory. One is that banks create credit uh, by uh, simply writing uh, loans, that it's loans create deposits. Uh, there's a view that uh, among many people that uh, banks simply lend out deposits, but that's not what they do. If you go into a bank, the bank creates the money to lend to you. Uh, and the problem with uh, uh, commercial banks is they lend money almost only to buy property, stocks or bonds, or to speculate. They don't lend to hire labor and uh, create uh, new factories and means of production. They don't create uh, uh, economic growth. It's purely an overhead charge to transfer property from one uh, uh, from the seller uh, to the buyer, usually at interest. And uh, most of the buyers are prompted to buy stocks or bonds or real estate because the banks create more and more credit, meaning more and more debt, uh, to create debt leveraged uh, inflation. So modern monetary theory, on the one hand, looks at uh, that banks create money simply on their computers when you take out a loan. Uh, but we also talk about government uh, money creation, that uh, there's a belief among many people that somehow governments uh, should run their budget in balance like a family. Well, the problem is that is uh, governments, uh, basically, the role of a treasury should be to finance government spending into the economy because that's how an economy grows. The money in your pocket is uh, 
technically a government debt. Uh, the government has spent it. It's technically an IOU, but it's a debt that nobody ever expects to be repaid. If the government runs a surplus, then it sucks money out of the economy. In America, the last time this occurred was under the Clinton administration in the late 1990s. And when the government uh, was running a surplus, the economy had to rely entirely on commercial banks for credit. The commercial banks that only provide this money at interest, they provided it almost entirely for the dot-com bubble in uh, st the stock market, uh, largely on fraud, and later on the housing bubble, uh, also largely on fraud with junk mortgages. So the problem is that uh, the, the banking system doesn't lend for the right reasons. Yeah, this is really interesting because if you had the Treasury being able to state bo uh, issue bonds and then the central bank buying them and, and financing these public works without any interest, the price would be half of what it is now when we have to when the state has to rely on private banks. So now today, when the state needs money, when my Danish government needs money for trains or whatever improving infrastructure, they have to go to private banks and ask for money, and they have to pay interest. And the cost of this financing is not the true cost, like the cost that goes out. So we have to we have to we have to get ten billions for improving these rails. They don't say that after 30 years you've paid you've paid 20 billions because you've been having to finance this via the private bank. So uh, that uh, whole angle of undermining the the sovereign power of a nation, whether it is undermining the tax base through extensive tax loopholes, or it's uh, handing out. Uh, uh, this capacity, it's undermining of the public financing system, whether it's through the banking sector or, and treasury bills or whether it's through the tax system. That's what has pushed so many uh, nations to the wall. And we're virtually on the, on the brink of a number of failed states around the world, Greece just being the beginning of it. And this is why, and I suppose this, this sort of angle is why these, this new economic thinking is so desperately required. And Michael, we were earlier talking about uh, Paul Krugman and his uh, debate with Steve Keen all those years ago about how uh, debts really don't affect aggregate demand. Maybe you'd like to start the t your critique from there. Well, I want to begin by saying the situation is even worse than what Tuna uh, talked about because uh, when governments borrow uh, from banks or bondholders, they don't simply borrow the money. They have to uh, ha impose what the International Monetary Fund calls conditionalities. Uh, the bondholders will not lend banks, such as in Greece today, uh, money unless the government agrees, number one, to wage a class war against labor. The government has to aim at lowering the uh, price of labor and uh, streamlining uh, government. Uh, governments have to privatize at very low uh, uh, prices. They have to give it away to the bank uh, customers uh, to buy the privatized resources. So we uh, essentially the bankers will say we won't lend you the money unless you sell off your water, your gas and your oil, your roads to turn into toll booths, uh, your property, your islands, uh, everything that you have, uh, and uh, instead of taxing us. Uh, and they, uh, the, they hired demagogues to go to the people and say if we will lower your real estate taxes you can buy uh, you can live more cheaply. Well, that's not the case at all in reality, because every time that real estate taxes uh, are lowered, uh, that leaves more of the rental income available to be pledged to the bank as debt service. So lower taxes mean higher mortgage debt. Yeah, if we can just, we'll just talk a tiny bit more about this before we get back to Krugman, but 
in Greece, though, what's happening now is they want to reduce pensions. So they want to take money out of the economy because not only pensioners are are reliant on these money. These these money are going to entire families because there's no money in the Greek economy. So they want to reduce these. And then at the same time, they want the islands and, yeah, they just want general business to pay more VAT. S- um, uh, and then... Th- then you'll have the then you'll have the companies in this situation. They'll have to rise prices in order to be able to pay all this extra, all these extra taxes. At the same time, you're taking money out of the economy, and it's a perfect example of of what happens when you don't understand the dynamic uh, with money as debt. Because now, obviously, you will have low volume and high prices, and you'll have terrible deflation. You have even m- worse deflation that you have the moment in Greece now. So it's the planned obsolescence of the public sector as a uh, countervailing force to private interests and that's what we're seeing systematically with not only uh, the tax system falling apart uh, the monetary system is a, a global handout uh, but uh, we've got austerity as uh, you know uh, compounding this with the, the the last of the the, the crown jewels uh, the public interest being sold off at record pace uh, uh, with of course extortionate uh, banking consultancy fees on how to privatize these assets it's it must be just so excruciating for you to have seen this for so long Michael this slow train wreck and are we building up to a hyperspeed or do you think there's still a fair way to go? The best way to understand where we're going is to look at finance as a form of war. Uh, Finance has the same objective that a military war has. They want the land, they want the infrastructure, and they want tribute. And essentially the role of the banking system, the bondholders, and the financial sector is uh, we, we want to uh, take your land in Greece, we want to take uh, your roads and your islands and your gas rights uh, without having to send an army in because that's expensive. And uh, we want you voluntarily to go into debt with them, us, and then voluntarily let us be in charge of outlining what your tax policy is. Let us tell you to raise the value-added tax to 23% of what consumers have to pay uh, for their goods so that we don't have to tax the rich people, the 1%. There is a war. There is a war of the 1% against the 99%. And as uh, uh, Mr. Buffett has said, we're winning it he being one of the 1%. And the amazing thing is that people don't understand there's a war. You understand in a military war because you're being bombed, uh, but even though you're being uh, evicted from your house, you're being foreclosed upon, your government is imposing uh, unemployment, your houses are being taken over, People act as if there's no war and somehow as if this is part of nature rather than part of a very bad policy. Yeah, so what we're saying in Gode Penge, which is this sister organization of positive money in Denmark, is that we, we say in order for there to be real democracy, you need, you need money and money creation to be democratized. Before you get that done, forget about it. You're on 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, sitting in Forest Park in Forest Hills, New York, with my good friend, distinguished research professor Michael Hudson from michael-hudson.com. And Tune Nielsen from Denmark's Positive Money Movement. What is your website? So, yeah, so it's uh, G-O-D-E-P-E-N-G-E <laughs> uh, dot D-K. So, but Positive Money's homepage is PositiveMoneyUK dot, uh, no, PositiveMoney.co.uk. Back to Krugman and this whole concept of uh, aggregate demand not being affected by rising debt levels. 
Uh, where has that debate gone, Michael, in the last few years with so much interest on the role of monetary reform and debt? Well, when I took my PhD in, uh, from New York University, there was, all, there was not even really a money in banking course. Uh, uh, there was one teacher that sort of taught out of the, out of the textbooks, and the idea at the time for, for 50 years, the textbooks had all had what they call the uh, LM uh, money curve. It's uh, here's the savings curve that people save, here's the interest rate, and here's what they lend out. And the assumption is uh, that all money is spent on goods and services. Well, not very much money spent on goods and services. Most of you uh, who buy things buy them with a credit card uh, or without money. Uh, the real money creation, as I said, is by the banks, mainly 80% for uh, mortgage uh, lending, and the rest is for stock and bond uh, speculation to inflate asset prices. But nowhere in the monetary theory, uh, in the textbooks they say MV equals PT, um, money and velo times velocity equals prices times transactions. The assumption is that if you increase the money supply, the pr there will be an inflation of goods and services. But that's not what's happened at all in America. In the last, uh, f uh, since 2008, you've had the fastest money creation in American history, more than $4 trillion by the Federal Reserve in quantitative easing. All of this money has been provided to banks as reserves, and the banks haven't lent out for goods and services. That, uh, they're act actually, banks have lowered the credit card exposure, so it's now under $1 trillion. Uh, some of them have lent for student loans, uh, but most of them have lent uh, for asset speculation in order to reinflate uh, asset prices so that people, the objective is that people will have to spend the next 30 years of their life working off the mortgage that's become the, uh, the entry price to the middle class in America. What is uh, the chicken and the egg to this debt problem, uh, Tuno? What do you think? What, what does that mean, chicken to the egg? <laughs> the chicken or the egg, what comes first? Okay. Yeah, so I believe, so this is very, this is, this is central. So, so you're asking whether the price, so private ownership in land or the, the, the bank's ability to create credit out of nothing? That's a really good question. I don't know. I think these reforms, so if you have, you have to have a monetary reform and a land reform, these two things go together, obviously. Yeah, they're very important, both of them. But anyway, we're talking about quantitative, uh, quantitative easing just before, is that what we advocate in Positive Money and Go the Penge is that we, ha we have QE for the people. So you have, as we talked about before, you have the Treasury issuing bonds bought by the central bank, and then you give out these money to all the all the people as a citizen's dividend and the people who have debt will be obliged to pay down their debt and the people who don't have debt can spend them on whatever so in order for any sort of quantitative easing to work you would have to do it in that kind of way well that's revolutionary uh, in america we only give money to the rich not to the poor uh, you'd, uh, you'd probably need a revolution uh, to have all of that. Uh, there is money being created. It is given away in just the way you say, but it's given away to the owners of property. It's given away to the financial sector uh, and to the banks. Uh, in 2008, uh, the government could have spent under a billion, a trillion dollars and uh, written down all of the debts 
to the uh, market price or to the ability of homeowners to buy them. And instead, they didn't write down the debts. Uh, the administrators under uh, Mr. Obama said, uh, we can only give money to the banks, uh, not uh, lose the bank's money. He appointed a bank lobbyist, Tim Geithner, is Secretary of the Treasury, who said, uh, although Congress had uh, promised money under the TARPA program to for mortgage relief, he said that was only a scam to uh, foam the runway, as uh, Geithner said, uh, so that people would uh, think that they would get a debt relief and they would not sell the houses so we wouldn't have a crash that would have brought down the banks uh, because the role of the Treasury in the United States and the uh, uh, central bank is to support uh, the large banks, uh, the too-big-to-fail banks, uh, especially the most criminalized banks, such as Citibank uh, and uh, Bank of America that uh, my UMKC colleague uh, uh, Bill Black, has been a former prosecutor, uh, has been describing uh, their crime. But in America, they've decriminalized financial fraud, decriminalized uh, uh, crime. So you almost have the finance and crime sector uh, merging, uh, and you'd need a revolution to give the money to the people, to the 99%, instead of the 1%. That's what the Occupy Wall Street was all about. Okay, well, um, how about we switch gears now and um, talk a little bit about uh, statistics and some of the manipulations that are going on with our statistical angles. So uh, I'm very concerned with inflation, for example, and Michael, you were talking about prices and uh, you know, I feel like there's been this race to the bottom in terms of globalization, and and that has helped push down the price of a pair of jeans to ten dollars and runners for similar prices. So there hasn't been that pressure point on society, and that's come through in in global inflation figures. But what has been a major pressure point is the the housing price, the land price that has been skyrocketing around the world. And uh, I just wonder, Michael, what your opinion is on why that's not showing up in inflation figures. Well, to understand the role of inflation, you have to understand what people spend their money on. Uh, in the United States, uh, let's take the average uh, blue-collar workers' uh, budget. Uh, out of the wages, 15, uh, over 15 percent is taken out right away for Social Security and Medicare care. It's 15 up to about $110,000. The rich people don't have to pay it, only the, uh, uh, the wage earner, lower wage earners have to pay it. Then you have uh, normal uh, income taxes and sales taxes. That's about another uh, 10 to 15 percent, so we're up to 30 percent. Uh, after that, uh, you may have uh, pension set-asides that are withdrawn, but then we come to, the, to what uh, the worker has to pay out of uh, the, maybe the 70 cent per remaining. Uh, the federal, all the mortgages in America that are written now, just about, are federally guaranteed, and the federal guarantee uh, uh, guideline is that uh, the mortgage can absorb up to 43 percent of the homeowner's income. So now you have 43 percent going for the mortgage uh, payments. Uh, that doesn't include the real estate tax. Uh, it doesn't include uh, electricity and gas uh, and water fees. So uh, up to 43%, uh, but the average is probably around 30% uh, of uh, uh, payments for housing. Uh, after that, uh, medical care, student loans may take uh, another uh, 10%. Uh, so after you account for all of these, and there's about 10% of the income that goes for the monthly credit card uh, fee for uh, non-housing uh, uh, debt. After you account for all this, 
uh, the average worker only has about 30% of his income to actually spend on goods and services. So the great increase in inflation has been in what we call the fire sector, finance, insurance, and real estate. Uh, finance and real estate, that's 40% uh, for the housing. Insurance, uh, meaning health insurance, uh, uh, Social Security, that's uh, uh, between uh, at least 15% up to about 25%. So you have most of the income of families going to the fire sector before anything can be spent on goods and services at all. So it's hardly surprising that when more and more of people's uh, uh, income has to be paid for debt service, they have less and less to spend on goods and services, so there simply isn't enough money to bid up the prices. And yet we don't have an index in America or any other country on land prices, uh, even on uh, there are a couple of stock price indexes. Uh, there's no bond price index. So there's really no index of asset price inflation, which is where all the action is really at. Yeah, that's what we're saying as well in, uh, in Go the Ping and Positive Money, is that so Western econo- economics, they say, yeah, so central banks work within the framework of 2% inflation. But you always have to, to, to ask, so what is this the inflation in? We've had terrible defl- inflation in my country. Terrible. It's been huge, but it's been in housing, Mark. It's been in housing, and uh, you have to you have to on- not only take in the consumer price index when you talk about inflation. But well, well, gentlemen, I was hoping someone would talk about how imputed rents, which is the the naturally rising value of land that homeowners enjoy, uh, is not included in the inflation basket. And when I asked the Australian Bureau of Statistics why uh, that was the case, well, they said, well, uh, housing is is not really a commodity. It's not something that should be included in inflation. And I was like, my, my, that's incredible. That's as if you're saying that uh, land should not be uh, capitalised into a price. It should be leased. And I was like, wow, that would be uh, just what we want. What a pity that uh, that doesn't flow through into other government policy. First of all, uh, what you, uh, we call asset price inflation and uh, Tuna called housing price inflation, uh, Alan Greenspan, here in America, we call that wealth creation. Uh, and that's the bank's euphemism for debt creation. So uh, there's a terminal, you need a new dictionary uh, to discuss this. And so far, if you let the financial sector uh, endow the universities and run the media and give you a Orwellian vocabulary of doublethink, where uh, you have the opposite word for every uh, thing, where you call debt wealth and uh, housing price inflation wealth creation, then uh, you're going to be confused. And the entire vocabulary that you hear on the radio every day uh, except for our friend's program here, is uh, designed uh, is an act of deception. And they pay lobbyists enormous amounts of money to have focus groups to find out what's the best word that we can think of uh, for cheating you and for making your expenses higher. And everybody likes wealth, everybody likes euphemisms, and the entire economics vocabulary uh, that people are taught in the universities is a vocabulary of euphemism. And that's why if you visit Michael-Hudson, you can read the Insider's Economic Dictionary where Michael's incredible wit reveals some of these uh, misinformations that are out there. And Michael, uh, when it comes to that Insider's Economic Dictionary, what do you think uh, is one of the, the prime terms people have to understand when they're trying to consider this whole story? Well, there's a problem that underlines not only our vocabulary, but the national income statistics. Uh, Everybody's income, uh, economic rent, 
uh, fraud uh, is called earnings. Uh, if you look in the national income and product account, certainly in America, uh, you count the real estate, the fire sector, finance, insurance, and real estate. All of the uh, the profits they make, the interest rates, the economic rent they make uh, is actually caused earnings. As if uh, landlords, when they're making more and more money, bankers, when they're paying themselves the highest prices in America, is if somehow they're creating a productive service that's added as counting to GDP. Uh, all the money that uh, Chase and Manhattan and uh, uh, Citibank and Bank of America uh, have uh, made and pay all of the hundreds of billions of dollars of uh, money they've paid to settle consumer fraud and business fraud uh, fined by the Federal Reserve, the Treasury, and the Securities and Exchange Commission. All of this is uh, counted as uh, uh, additions to G gross domestic product. Uh, and so there's no distinction between earned and unearned income. And that was... Tuna Nielsen from Positive Money and Professor Michael Hudson from Michael-Hudson here in New York. Yes, the marathon is almost over. Two and a half weeks heading home in just a couple of days. See you next week from 3CR Studios in Fitzroy, Melbourne. Get in touch via renegades at earthsharing.org.au on Twitter at earthsharing and Keep an eye out for our 124th annual Henry George commemorative dinner on Wednesday, September the 2nd. That's Wednesday, September the 2nd. Always like meeting 3CR listeners at this landmark event. See you then.